What's good about Good Friday? This morning in Matthew chapter 27, we're going to look at two things. This is a two-part message. The first part is the details of the crucifixion, and the second part of this message are the results of the crucifixion. The first part of this message, the details of the crucifixion, could leave us asking, could anything good come out of this? And the second part of the message, the results of the crucifixion, could leave us asking the question, could anything better have come of this? We don't understand crucifixion because we don't crucify people anymore, and the crucifixions we hear about of the persecuted church are distant from us. But Matthew 27, beginning at verse 27, gives us important details about our Lord and Savior's crucifixion. I want to jump in at verse 26 of Matthew 27. Then he, Pilate, released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Before the action of the verses we have just considered, there have been five nighttime trials of our Lord and Savior, all of which were illegal by Roman law to be conducted after dark. We've also had Pilate's cowardly death sentence verdict pronounced. Prior to this verse, there has been a pre-cross scourging of Christ. Some people call that a flogging. Scourging was called the intermediate death. Many flogged prisoners, scourged prisoners, died in the process of being scourged. They were stripped naked, tied at the wrist to a low post, and bent over. They were whipped with a whip which consisted of long strips of leather, which had jagged lead or broken glass or bone fragments attached to the ends. The back, the chest, and the face were repeatedly whipped so that they came to resemble ground beef. After being scourged, Jesus was led to Pilate's palace residence. And there our Savior was subjected to further physical abuse. Verses 27 to 31, Matthew 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. The whole Roman cohort would have, between, would have been between three and 600 Roman soldiers. 
Jesus would have been bruised, cut, and swollen beyond all recognition. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, the prophet 700 years before Jesus predicted of Messiah, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. On to verse 32. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. After all of the significant injuries, after the all-night five trials, our Savior wasn't physically able to carry his own execution cross. 32 to 34. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. Somehow, trying to be merciful, these sadistic executioners offered Jesus a potent, conscious-altering drink of wine. But our Lord refused it. He was unwilling to lessen the full experience of the suffering required in shedding his blood and paying for our sins. He was unwilling to dull that pain. The first part of verse 35, and when they had crucified him, the gospel writer Matthew spares us more of the gory details of the crucifixion, and he simply bottom lines it with the words, and when they had crucified him. Let me tell you a bit about Roman crucifixion. It was the most humiliating, intimidating, prolonged, and painful form of execution of them all. The condemned was tied to the crossbeam, and sharp iron spikes were driven through the hands or the wrists or the forearms, first the right and second the left. The condemned was then lifted up by the horizontal beam, and then that beam was attached to the vertical down beam. There was a peg attached to the down beam that served as a rest seat for the victim. The condemned's feet were overlapped, and then a long and sharp spike nail was driven through them both, pinning the feet to the cross and bruising the heels. Remember in Genesis 3, Satan was told he would bruise Messiah on the heel. Four soldiers were assigned to supervise every cross of the Roman Empire's execution plan. All four had to watch each crucifixion victim until he died. This often took several days. 
crucifixion victims bled, dehydrated, eventually gasped for breath, and ultimately suffocated. It was customary for the Roman soldiers to hasten death, eventually, either by shattering the victim's shin bones, making the pushing up off the rest seat to gain lungs full of air too excruciatingly painful to keep doing, or they would hasten death by building a bonfire at the foot of the cross, accelerating suffocation due to the fire's smoke. Imagine the Son of God, the creator of the universe, submitting himself knowingly to such a death. A volunteer and not a victim. In love for his father and in love for sinners like me and like you. The cross is foolishness to those who do not believe. They ask, why the cross? We answer, to pay the penalty for human sin. We answer, to once for all time defeat Satan and sin and death. We answer, to bridge the gap between a holy God and vile sinning rebels like all of us. We answer, to personally personify perfect divine love. Why the cross, the skeptics ask. We answer to obey his Father who is in heaven. Why the cross? We answer, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And as bad as the physical torture was, it was not the only abuse which our precious Lord endured. There were spectators who hurled cutting and crude and cruel comments to our Savior as he was dying in our places on the cross, 35 to 44. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots and sitting down. They began to keep watch over him there. And they put up above his head the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews, may interject. As far as I know, being the King of the Jews was not a capital crime in Rome. But that's what Pilate put. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And at that time, there were two robbers crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him 
For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insult at him. The ancient north wall of the ancient city of Jerusalem is yards away from Golgotha, maybe 500 yards away. And so those who mocked our Savior on Golgotha's cross were just 500 yards away on the north wall of the ancient city of Jerusalem. Again, as I said earlier, these details of the crucifixion leave us probably asking, could anything good come out of this? As the account in Matthew's gospel continues, we are going to see that tremendous good came out of this. Eternal good came out of this. Magnificent, brilliant, unexpected good came out of this. Three results of Jesus' death on the cross that I'd like to share right from the text. The first, I'll read you the verses before I tell you what the result is. Verses 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first result, Christ's suffering and blood paid for all sin. Christ's suffering and blood paid for all sin. Why did night-like pitch darkness fall over the whole region of Palestine from noon until 3 p.m.? Because there was torture within the Godhead. Because there was anguish among the three persons of the Trinity. Because the sinless Son of God was carrying sinners' sin on himself as he suffered on that cross, as he bled on that cross, and as he died on that cross. That's why the daytime sky went nighttime jet black. The region of land and geography and real estate all around Mount Calvary and Jerusalem went pitch dark in the daytime because the Lord Jesus Christ became the once for all time sacrifice for your sin and for mine. The conclusion that Christ had become the sin bearer is proven in our Lord's own question from the cross. 46 again. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was bearing your sins, past, present, and future. My sins, 
past, present, and future. And in his holiness, God the Father, as it were, had to turn his back on God the Son who was bearing our sins upon himself. The cross is where the wrath of God kissed the mercy of God. But the wrath of God necessitated the Father God to temporarily break a relationship of perfect love that had existed from eternity past. The second result, verses 47 to 53. And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from, from top to bottom. And the earth shook. And the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. The second result of the crucifixion of Jesus is that Christ's suffering and blood introduced for us open access to God open access to God that was not there formally. Some phenomenal miracles happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and me. A 30-foot wide, I'm not sure how wide this sanctuary is, probably it's a little wider, maybe from this pew edge to that pew edge, a 30-foot wide, four-inch thick curtain in the Jewish temple, ripped in two from the top to the bottom. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that the Jews tested that very curtain with two teams of horses. They hitched to either side of the, the curtain, and they pulled the horses opposite to one another to see if it would rip before they hung it. And when Jesus died on the cross, that very curtain was ripped in two from top to bottom because God and not man ripped it. And the curtain was there in the Jewish temple with the functionality of separating the holy of holies in the temple from the other parts of the temple. And the high priest of Israel could only go into the holy of holies, pass that curtain by once a year. Jesus' death on the cross was visualized that that barrier to the access to God was taken away by the blood shed of Jesus Christ. You have access to God. You don't have to go to a temple site. You don't have to go through a priest. 
You don't have to worry about a curtain at the Holy of Holies at the temple. You are the Holy of Holies if you're saved. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit if you're saved. You have open, constant, 24H, 365Y access to God that no one, no one, no one in the Old Testament knew anything of. was ripped from top to bottom. It was not ripped by human merit. It was not ripped by a scheme of religion. It was not ripped by performance-based acceptance with God. Oh, no. It was God ripped it from the top to the bottom because God came to us in Christ. God made a way for us through Christ's cross. God demonstrated to us mercy and grace at the cross and ripped from the top to the bottom by God's hand because it's emphasizing that our acceptance to God is not a a ritualistic system or a codified law, but based on the sinless life's blood of Jesus. What a result. So far, we've seen two results of the crucifixion of Jesus. Christ's suffering and blood paid for all sin. Second, Christ's suffering and blood introduced open access to God. And the third result, I'll read the verses first, 54 through 56. Now the centurion, this is at the cross. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became very frightened and said, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. This was the Son of God. No man's died like he died. Nothing's happened around the crosses of anyone else likes what's happening today. Surely, this was the Son of God. When you go to Jerusalem, there is something they call the Rabbi's Tunnel. It runs along the base of the western wall of Jerusalem, also called the Weeping Wall, where Jews pray. It's the closest spatial point they can get to the Temple Mount right now. So they go to that wall, and the footing of that wall has a tunnel, the Rabbi's Tunnel. And I've been there, and in that Rabbi's Tunnel... Tunnel. There is a foundation stone that is mammoth. It is the size of the payload of an 18-wheeler transport truck. One stone. And when you look at that stone, there is a complete crack from the top of that mammoth stone to the bottom. No one would have put a stone that heavy and that hard to move in place previously cracked. That stone, I believe, was cracked by the earthquake that opened the graves at Jesus' crucifixion. An earthquake so violent that it would crack a foundation stone the size, the height of the payload of an 18-foot transport truck's payload. And due to that extremely severe localized earthquake, Some believers in Yahweh, some believers' graves 
shook open when Christ died. And the believing bodies of those who were interred in those graves came back to life. Surely this was the Son of God. Friends, Jesus Christ's death is the most unique death in all of human history. Darkness during the day. A torn, unterrible curtain. An earthquake opening graves and dead people coming back to life. Jesus Christ's death was the most unique death in all of human history. Hardened Roman executioner soldiers repented and believed in Jesus when they saw what happened. Sin was paid for, death was defeated. Sin was forgiven, death was refused the last say. Sin was removed, death was disarmed. So what's so good about Good Friday? The details of our Lord's crucifixion, gruesome, horrific, barbaric. What's so good about Good Friday? The results of Jesus' crucifixion. Payment for sin, open access to God, victory over sin and death. That's what's so good about Good Friday. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Lord Jesus, we shall thank you for all eternity for what you have done for us based upon your love for your heavenly Father and based upon your love for us. Help us now as we continue in this Good Friday service of worship to adore you, to thank you, to praise you as we ought. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.